the calling of God. That's our focus today on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Romans 8. This is amazing grace. again and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will join us in a moment and we'll pick up where we left off in Romans chapter 8. All this week we're talking about God's purposeful plan for you. As you'll see today, it includes God's calling. As we'll learn in a bit, this happens in two ways, internally and externally. When we become a Christian or you're sharing Christ with someone, it's important to recognize that God is the one that draws people to himself. We really can't convict or convince anyone. Here's Pastor Ed to explain. Romans chapter 8 is the highlight of Romans. It's the highlight of the Bible. I mean, it's, you could call it the mountaintop, the Pike's Peak, the Long's Peak of the Bible. And when you get through Romans chapter 8, we've slowed down a little bit. And really where the brakes went on was right at verse 28, wasn't it? And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. A fantastic phenomenal promise of God. And yet you know as well as I do that in the midst of issues and things in our lives, the promise can lose some of its luster and some of its strength because I think sometimes we forget who has given us the promise. But Paul doesn't forget who gives us the promise. He actually goes on to verse 29 where we've been and begins to describe the attributes of God, the one who's given the promise. And he says in verse 29, for whom he foreknew... The foreknowledge of God, the omniscience of God. Since God is omniscient and he knows all things, we can trust him. We can trust him in the good times. We can trust him in the bad times. We can trust him in the middle of the road type of times. Why? Because he knows. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's omniscient. And then he goes on to say, Paul does, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And we looked at the doctrine of predestination that God has predetermined the destiny of all who will believe in him. And there is that tension, isn't there, between the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. And God wants it that way. He wants that tension in our lives to not fully understand him because his ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. And when we come to these things where we don't understand, it causes us to trust him all the more. We read what the Bible says and we believe God, even if there is a little bit of tension. And if you have questions on predestination, grab the study off the web from last week or get the CD and study up on it. Glorious doctrines. You see, the promises of God, well, a promise is really only as good as the person that gives it. And so we need to know who God is and who it is that has given us this glorious promise. He's the God that foreknows. He's the God that knows all. He's the God that has the ability to predestine, to to work in our lives. And today we look at the doctrine of God's calling. Verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that's the ongoing work in our lives that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, verse 30. For moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And so we look at the doctrine of God's calling today. Now, this isn't the calling 
that we normally refer to. You know, when you start hearing the word calling thrown around, a lot of times we think of it in light of the giftings and the calling of God. And that's not what this calling is. That's a different doctrine altogether. It is a good thing to know the giftings and the calling of God in your life and to exercise those gifts for the body of Christ. But that's not the calling that Paul is referring to here. This is the calling of God of a person, a man and woman, to himself. That he sovereignly, God's calling is wonderful. The Lord has chosen to draw us to himself. Look at John chapter 6 for a moment. The doctrine of God's calling, so wonderful. Those that are called are those in whose hearts the Holy Spirit works to lead them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We believe because God has called. We couldn't be saved, you know, unless the Lord had drawn us to himself, revealing himself to us. Notice John chapter 6 Verse 44, God's calling. John 6, we'll pick up in verse 44. Jesus is speaking here and he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's just the way it is. No one can come to, the, to Jesus unless they're drawn by the Father. He goes on to say, and I'll raise him up the last day. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The calling of God. We couldn't be saved unless the Lord had drawn us to himself, revealing himself to us, revealing our own sinfulness to us, which then leads us to an understanding of our need to have our sins dealt with in a way that pleases God. And I know there's that idea out there today that, you know, hey, a person, if the person really wanted to believe in God, you know, they could believe in God any time that they wanted to. I'll tell you, that's not entirely true. That's not entirely true at all. You could want to know God all your life, but unless God chose to reveal himself to you, you would never know. You would never know your need. And so it's not entirely true to say, well, you know, if a person wants to believe any time he wants, you know, he can just believe any time he wants. Flip back to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, we looked at this because God has chosen to reveal himself, and that's the blessing. What a blessing that God, the creator of the universe, has chosen to reveal himself to man. I mean, that blows my mind. He could have chosen not to reveal himself, but we see, picking up in verse 20 of Romans chapter 1, that he has chosen to reveal himself. And we went in this in depth. We'll touch on it briefly today. Look at verse 20, Romans 1. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. And so there's that revelation of God as creator. Every human being on the planet Earth knows, knows there's a creator, whether they admit it or not. They know, I mean, they can look at a mountain and say, I didn't create that mountain. They can look at a tree and say, I didn't create that tree. And there is that thought in there, whether they want to admit it or not, that there is a creator, someone outside of themselves that has created their beautiful surroundings and even to the point where they've created, where God has created them. But you know that's not enough. It's not enough just the revelation of creator. You can't really know God personally through looking at a tree. You can see that God exists, but you really can't come to know him personally. And then we learn that not only has God given the light of creation to every human being, but God has also given the light of conscience. Remember? The ability to tell right from wrong. Every human being on the planet Earth has a sense of right and wrong. Now, they may not be as advanced as yours or mine, but they can tell. They just get to that sense when something's been done that they don't like. Their first response is, that's wrong. 
but they don't have a Bible. They don't have a relationship with God, but they know the difference between right and wrong. Why? Because God has created us in his image, given us a conscience. But do you know, even with the light of creation and the light of conscience, that's still not enough to know God personally. You have to follow the light. You have to go forward in what God has shown you. I mean, if we had the picture of just this little pinpoint of light and we're lost in the deepest, darkest jungle, we see this pinpoint of light. If you choose to go after that light, what's going to happen? It's going to get bigger, isn't it? You're going to get closer to it. You're going to say, oh, I can see a little bit of light over here. Let's go check it out. Or with the light that you've been given, you can see that little pinpoint of light and say, you know what? I don't think that's light. I don't think that's really light at all. I'm going to turn my back on it and walk the other way. Who's responsible, God or you? Well, certainly you and I. See, God has chosen to reveal himself. Yes, he's chosen to reveal himself in creation. And yes, he's chosen to reveal himself with a conscience. But listen, in order to know God personally, he has to personally reveal himself to you. He has to call you. And fortunately, God has done that through Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, they would come to Jesus and say, show us the Father and we'll believe. And what did Jesus say? Hey, if you have seen me, You've seen the Father. And God has revealed himself in Jesus the Son, God in human flesh. Yes, God spoke and created the world, yes. And yes, God has put a conscience in every human being, yes. But I'll tell you what, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the full revelation of God. That the word became flesh and now we can know him personally by faith in Jesus Christ. And so those of you who are taking notes, the calling of God happens in two ways. You can jot them down and we'll look at them individually. The calling of God happens in, one of, in two ways. First, there's the internal call of God. And secondly, there's the external call of God. The internal call and the external call. You see, the internal call of God is the sovereign, convicting, and convincing work of God in a person's heart. Flip over to John chapter 16. Let me show you what I mean. The internal call of God goes out throughout the world as a act of his love, and it is the sovereign, convicting, and convincing work in a person's heart. Just that definition alone, church, should give you great relief, because it's not your responsibility to convict anyone or convince anyone of their need of God. You can just go, because I mean, you can do that, can't you? You can get every apologetics book you can know the Bible inside and out. You can be ready for every argument, every issue, and you're ready because you've been working with this guy for a long time, and he's finally asked you a question about God, and boy, are you ready. You have every answer. You have every, everything you could, every objection has been answered, everything, and at the end, you go, are you still ready? Are you ready to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? And the response is, I'm not a sinner. What are you talking about? And it's so frustrating, isn't it? And you can almost beat yourself up over that. Like, well, I'm not good enough to share the gospel, man. He's not believing. But it's not your work to convict someone of their sin. It's not your work to convince someone of their need. Well, let me show you John chapter 16, verse 5. John chapter 16. Let me get there with you. John has been moved in my Bible. Here it is. John 16, verse 5. But now I go away. Jesus is speaking to his disciples to prepare them. For his departure, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. He says, now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me where you're going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper, you can circle the word helper there and just write next to it, Holy Spirit. Because that's who he's speaking of from the context. The helper will not come to you, but if I depart, verse 7, I will send him to you. That's wonderful. And in sending him, notice the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of... And now, here's a little tip as you're writing in the Bible. You could, start, you could start doing things like this because there's three things that the Holy Spirit really wants you to get. So you could circle the word sin and just write number one next to it. You can circle the word righteousness. You can write number two next to it. So you can go through and say, and when he has come, he will convict the world of number one, sin, number two, and of righteousness, and notice number three, of judgment. And those are the three things the Holy Spirit does in the world today. The Holy Spirit's been sent into the world to convict and convince of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now he explains it, verse 9. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Well, that makes sense. But sometimes when we speak of the conviction of sin, we think of, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to convict everyone of all the little things that they do. A little bad word here, a little bad thought here, and the Holy Spirit's going to do that work. In the, in the believer, the life of the believer, for sure, that comes. But I'll tell you, the work of the Holy Spirit today among those, well, maybe some of you are in that category right now. You're, you're in church today, but it's not like you're a believer. Like you're here and you, maybe you're just doing your time, right? You know, somebody invited you and, and okay, if you, well, if you will, you stop asking me if I go. Yeah, I'll stop asking. Okay, I'll go do my time, man. That's what I'll do. I'll do my time. Hurry up, pastor, you know, half time or whatever. I'm going to do my time. All right, you're doing your time. But, you know, it's not that you have anything against God. I mean, you might have even been raised in a Christian home. It's not like you have anything against God. It's not like you're upset with God. But it's also not like you really care either. I mean, you're just here because you got to be here. You're here because of family. You're here with your family, and you're, you're just kind of checking it out. Okay, that's cool. And it really frustrates you at times because the conviction of the Holy Spirit is active in your life. And what the Holy Spirit is convicting you of is sin. And so what happens is, is that, you know, you might be even in a different category. You're kind of going through the radio dial, listening to Christian radio. You're not really a Christian, but there's some neat things you hear on the radio dial and some pastors that you really enjoy, or, or you listen to Christian music, and, and, and you might even turn on the television and see a pastor here and there. And yet the thing is, is that you don't understand anything of what they're saying. And not only that, but you get really upset and frustrated. You remember Charlie Brown? Remember when he was in class all the time, what the teacher sounded like, remember? And that's sometimes what you hear in churches, right? You hear the pastor up here, and all you're hearing is, sin. Oh, sin? I heard sin. I don't understand anything he's saying, but he keeps telling me I'm a sinner. I don't like him. <laughs> I don't want to be told I'm a sinner. I don't like sin. And yet that's all you hear, isn't it? Because the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to convict you of sin. And so that's all you're going to hear. Until the sin issue in your life has been dealt a blow by the blood of Jesus Christ. By your faith and your surrender. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because they do not believe in me. Then he says of righteousness, verse 10, that the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. You see, when the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious rulers, they nailed Jesus to the cross, what they were saying, they were sending a message and they were saying, this man is unrighteous. He's a liar. He's a blasphemer. And not only is he a liar and a blasphemer, but, but he's unrighteous and he's deserving of judgment. But the Holy Spirit comes to say, no, that's incorrect. Jesus is righteous. 
And the Holy Spirit convicts in our hearts righteousness. That Jesus indeed is righteous and perfect and paid the perfect price. The only price that could be paid for a person to be right with God. And so, the Holy Spirit's moving, convicting of sin and then pointing you to Jesus, telling you, you know, Jesus is righteous. He's holy. He's good. There's nothing. You can have something against the church. You can have something against other Christians. You can have, some, you can have all the excuses in the world of why you won't believe. But when it comes to Jesus, you have no excuse. He's righteous. He's holy. He's just. He's good. And he loves you. And he sacrificed his life for you. Jesus demonstrated on the cross through his death and resurrection and his ascension that he was righteous. And the Holy Spirit bears witness every single day. You see, the Holy Spirit convinces the world that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. Jot this one down. I'll read it to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Convicting of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Because the ruler of this world, it says, has been judged. But we live in a world that, well, they've developed their own righteousness. Have you noticed? That's the world that you and I live in. There is a righteousness in the world that's not the righteousness of God. You know what it is? What do you think the righteousness of the world is? Self-righteousness. Right, you guys got it. Self-righteousness. That's the righteousness of the world. You know, 30, 40 years ago, if you went into a bookstore, do you know a section you wouldn't have found in the bookstore? You would not have found a self-help section. Today, four or five rows of books and CDs and tapes on self-help. Okay, everybody, let's band together and let's help one another. Let's help ourselves because the power is within you to do your best and change your life. And so buy all these books and all these CDs and you can just self-help yourself all the way. Well, hey, if you're not born again, you can self-help your way all the way to an eternity apart from God. 30 years ago, there wasn't an emphasis on self-help, but rather an emphasis on God's help. 30 years ago, the generation was looking to God for help, looking for God to strengthen 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago. But something happened. Men and women forsook God and said, you know, we can do our own thing. Philosophy and understanding and vain deceit. And now, you know, we're going to help ourselves. We're going to take things on ourselves and we don't really need God's help. We're going to do it ourselves. And man is on the throne. I mean, if you don't believe this, try this out this week, okay? Go back to work or tonight or tomorrow, go to school, and just talk to someone about the love of God. Just tell them, hey, I was in church, and my pastor was talking about love and God, and, and he was talking about sin, too. Did you know that you have sin in your life? Did you know you have a need for a Savior? Did you know Jesus Christ can, I mean, just lay it out for them. And I guarantee you they're going to say something like this if they hold to a self-righteousness. You ready? They're going to say, what are you talking to me for? I'm a good person. You should be talking to Joe, man. That's a bad person. <laughs> Not me. Why? Why would they be able to say that with such confidence, except that they've set up their own righteousness, and they probably live up to it? I mean, if someone says they're a good person, most likely you won't be able to argue with them. I mean, they do good things. They're good people. That's not a problem. But are they good enough in the eyes of God to receive salvation? See, because the righteousness that God requires is what? The righteousness that God provides. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as good as you might be today, this righteousness that you've set up of your own standard 
you're not going to be good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. You're living up to your own righteous standard, your own self-righteousness. Jot this one down. Romans chapter 10 speaks of a group of people being ignorant of the righteousness of God. And it's true. We live in a society that's very self-centered. These are the fruits of all the, you know, we're living in a society that are bearing the fruits of all the previous generations. And so what we have is a generation of selfish people. We have a generation of self-centered people. We have a generation that is only concerned about me, myself, and I. We have a generation that is very hesitant to help one another. A generation that, not, not entirely, but for the most part, a generation that is completely devoid of God in their thinking. And it's so sad on the one hand, but it's so wonderful on the other hand is God has sent us as ambassadors to share God's love with them, to invade this world. And so the Holy Spirit does use you, doesn't he? Through his word to show a person their need of righteousness of God. You know, you go to Romans, right? You'll take them through the Romans road. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death. The gift of God is eternal life. If you will believe in your heart and confess your mouth that Jesus Christ lived, he died, he rose again, you shall be saved. You walk them through that. And God does use his word to convict and convince, but you and I do not convict and do not convince people. It's a work of God. It's his work. The internal call is the call of God through his spirit. Flip over to John chapter 6. Let me show you as we close up on the internal call, internal call here. As God is drawing a people to himself, it says in John chapter 6, so I'll draw your attention to verse 65. Oh, let's go up to verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And the words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. That's the internal call, God's calling. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our apps, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Well, Pastor Ed, you just spoke about the internal call of God, and tomorrow you'll touch on the external call of God. Would you give our listeners an idea of what that involves? Yes, Larry. You know, the internal call is pretty amazing, isn't it? That work of the Spirit bringing conviction, uh, bringing an, uh, an awareness of our need for Jesus Christ, uh, the conviction of righteousness, uh, that internal call. Uh, like Jesus said, uh, he said, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father, which leads us to the external call. And I don't want to give too much about it uh, for our coming study, but consider the external call, the call of evangelism the verbal proclamation of the gospel, the good news that your sins can be forgiven, that opportunity and privilege that we've been given to tell others about Jesus Christ, uh, to cooperate with God in the work of His Spirit 
internally upon a person where then we are able to externally declare the goodness and the greatness and the joy of the gospel. Internal and external, very powerful things to consider. Thanks for asking. Thanks, Pastor Ed. We look forward to hearing more about that tomorrow on Abounding Grace. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at aboundinggraceradio.com, then click Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We're consistently hearing from people that are growing by God's abounding grace as they take in and apply the Word of God. Your gifts help to make that possible. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Chuck Smith's book, Faith. Maybe you've wondered, what is faith? Where does it come from? And how does it work? Pastor Chuck explores those questions and many others that relate to the issue of faith in this helpful book. Request it today when you call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.